there, everyone. Welcome back to the Loyal and True Podcast, the podcast for Oklahoma State fans who are loyal and true, maybe to a fault. I'm Jason Evans, and once again this week, I am flying solo. Unfortunately, Jared's not going to be able to make it because uh, he's in a baseball tournament over the weekend when we were trying to record. But hey, uh, I am here. I'll get you up to date on the week that was in Oklahoma State Athletics. And I think we need to start in the news of the week, and that is the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. Once again, the secret voters that nobody knows who they really are, they once again, for the sixth time, choose not to elect Eddie Sutton into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Now, he's been a finalist six times now, and all six times he's failed to get the minimum 18 votes needed to qualify. And you, you've probably seen the news, you've heard commentators ad nauseum talk about Eddie not deserving, uh, or, or why people are not thinking that Eddie is deserving. And I mean, you're probably an OSU fan if you're listening to this. I'm an OSU fan. We all know that Eddie Sutton is a Hall of Fame basketball coach. There's no doubt in our minds, and admittedly, we may be biased, but I mean, just look at the numbers. He's the only coach with over 800 wins who hasn't been elected into the Hall of Fame, two-time National Coach of the Year. He went to three Final Fours with two different teams. He was the first coach to take four different schools to the NCAA tournament. I mean, his credentials go on and on and on. He began the basketball program at Southern Idaho. Like, I mean, the man just knows how to coach. He knows how to develop players. And even more importantly, he knows how to turn players into great young men. And if that's not quality enough to get elected into the Hall of Fame, then I mean, I don't I don't know what it will take because you can look through the names of coaches. And of course, the Naismith Hall of Fame is kind of unique because it it covers the sport of basketball. So you've got coaches who've only coached at the high school level or you've got coaches who were inducted based on their NBA prowess. And then you've got several coaches who were inducted based on their collegiate success. And I just want to look at a couple coaches that are in the Hall of Fame and, and let's just see how they stack up with Coach Sutton. Now, the first is Pete Carrill, who who spent a majority of his time at, at Princeton. And, and, and please understand, I'm not trying to disparage anybody who has been elected. I think everyone is, is deserving, but it's just if these people are deserving, then what about Coach Sutton? So Carrill coached at Princeton, and he's kind of known as being the only coach in Division One who had 500 wins without the luxury of having athletic scholarships, which, yeah, that, that can be, that, that is a big deal. He won 13 Ivy League championships. He made 11 NCAA tournament appearances in his career. Eddie Sutton made 13 NCAA tournament appearances in his 16 years at Oklahoma State. Um, he, the career won an NIT championship in 1975. Um, you know, again, Great guy. Uh, everyone probably remembers in 96 whenever Princeton knocked off UCLA and, and Carrill's running down towards the middle of the court. Uh, great guy, but how does that stack up to Coach Sutton and his 806 victories? That's the kind of stuff that just just bothers me to, to no end. And, and then you've got a, a contemporary of Coach Sutton's, uh, uh, someone he's familiar with, John Chaney, who was at Temple. Uh, John Chaney won a uh, 516 games, all at Temple University. He was the Division II National Coach of the Year. He won five Atlantic 10 Conference Coach of the Years. Um, that's really about it. 
that's really about it for John Cheney, other than the time that he stormed into a press conference and threatened to kill uh, a very young John Calipari. But, you know, John Cheney is in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, you've got you've got all these other coaches and, and, and again, everyone is successful in their own right. But I just can't figure out how on merit alone you can't think that Eddie Sutton is deserving. Now, I know the, the, the story is that his time at Kentucky with the, the bag of cash that, that Sutton was totally exonerated for, but it led to three years of probation for Kentucky, including a television ban. I know that's the, the story is that there's somebody in this secret voting group that is holding that grudge against Coach Sutton. And if that's the, the case, I mean, all I can say is grow up. If a man is deserving, a man is deserving. If a man rubbed you the wrong way, just get over it. Like you've got to give people their due. You've got to give them their props. We've got so many coaches that are in the Hall of Fame that ended their career in scandal. You've got Rick Pitino who's in the Hall of Fame. He, he was fired. He ended his career in scandal. You've got Jerry Tarkanian in the Hall of Fame whose career ended on multiple occasions in scandal. It just goes on and on and on. So if we're going to base it on not merit, then why is John Cheney in the Hall of Fame? Or if we're going to base it on doing everything the right way, why are any of these coaches in the Hall of Fame? Because you could probably make the argument that every coach at some point in time did something that was not by the book. And, and like I said, I know we've, we've talked about it all week and I would love to, to get Jared's opinion. Well, next week when, when he's back on the show, uh, we'll probably go down this rabbit hole again because it's just a disgrace that they are, they are willfully just withholding this, this title from coach Sutton. And, and I mean, it's, it doesn't take a genius to look and see coach Sutton's nearing the end of his life. And I'm not trying to be morbid or anything like that, but but this you know the, the Sutton family was definitely devastated whenever the news broke that he would not be inducted on this this occasion. I think they really thought it might happen this time, and um, I think it's just dirty pool if they're waiting for Coach Sutton to pass away. Jared and I talked about that uh, uh, whenever they announced he was a finalist. That it seems like there's this this element of maybe just trying to wait him out and then and then induct him posthumously. Well, I mean, it's it's easy to to say it, but you know, part of me just kind of wants the Sutton family to say, "Hey, uh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We're all good." Um, you know, uh, uh, he deserves the congratulations, but at some point he he deserves not to have his heart broken every year when he's a finalist never to get elected. So, um I just want to, I just, I'm going to go on my soapbox. Shame on you, National Hall of Fame Selection Committee, whoever you are. And for whatever reason, uh, shame, shame on you. Well, switching gears, let's talk about the week that was in Oklahoma State sports. And let's start with the good news. We, we, we kicked off the show last week talking about softball. Let's talk about it again. They picked up a three-game sweep over Kansas, winning 8-1 to and 5 nothing on Friday, and then winning Saturday 7-3. to Kind of had a little bit of a come-behind. So Oklahoma State now sits at 7-2 and in conference play. That is good for second place behind Oklahoma, who is 6-0 in conference play. And so the Cowgirls continue to to find the the winning ways, they won two out of three against Texas and then swept Kansas. And so uh, they are they're sitting pretty as the season progresses. This week they are at Iowa State. Uh, 
this next weekend on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So in Ames, Iowa, at Iowa State, Iowa State is currently one and five in conference and twenty-two and fifteen overall. And so this is potentially a great spot for the women to again have a great weekend. And so we sure hope that they do and that they they turn out successful. Uh, switching to women's tennis, they battled Oklahoma on Sunday and came away the victors. They uh, came out. And, and really, it was, it, there were some close matches. Uh, it was tight, tight matches for most of the way. But um, in the end, the, the tennis team uh, closed it out with the Bedlam victory, and they won seven to nothing um, to, to shut out Oklahoma. And so that always feels good as an Oklahoma State fan. So big, big victory for the number 12 ranked Oklahoma State women's tennis team. So switching gears, let's talk about the men's baseball team. Uh, this week, they they had a rough week. Let's just be honest. They lost the midweek game to Central Arkansas 8-4, to and it really wasn't that close. They tried to make a comeback at the end. And then for the first time here in conference play, they lost a weekend series. They were hosting West Virginia, and it was a big weekend. It was a, a great weekend full of celebration, except for the fact that the Cowboys lost two out of three games. Now, I said celebration. Pete Incavilia was back, the home home run king. He spent all three days uh, of, of the weekend there at Alley P and uh, threw out the first pitch on Sunday, signed autographs throughout the weekend. Uh, so it was great to see him. On Saturday, they honored the 1959 National Championship team. And I, I wasn't aware of this, but the team had never received championship rings. And so it was really cool to see in pregame they, the, the, the members of the 59 team who were able to come or family who were, who were able to come, uh, they were presented with rings, with championship rings honoring that 59 team. And so uh, that was great celebration. It was a lot, a lot of excitement around the ballpark this weekend. But I'll tell you, West Virginia, they came to play and Oklahoma State, uh, their, their pitching staff really just struggled out of the gate. Jensen Elliott, um, had maybe I mean I'm not I, I don't I'm not going to go all the way back into to to um, his career but it could have been potentially his worst start as a cowboy he fell to three and two on the season he only pitched three innings seven hits five runs four of them earned he had three walks and only two strikeouts and um, you know that's just a tough tough day for Jensen and and listen sometimes you just don't have it um, you would just hope on a Friday night that you could get more production out of your starting pitcher. Um, on Saturday, the Cowboys again fell into a big hole, down five to nothing um, halfway through the game. They somehow miraculously came back. They scored one run in the fifth, three in the sixth, and then they scored five runs in the fifth to end up winning nine to five. And this game, it, it ended with the bases loaded, two outs, Colin Simpson at the plate, and first pitch, a, a hanging slider, and he hit a moonshot that I don't even think landed out past the right field fence. And so a grand slam uh, to, to win the game, 9-5. to five, Ben Leeper came in and closed the door. And so they tied it up. Rubber match coming on Sunday, and uh, West Virginia came out with a four to two victory. The game the game started. West Virginia scored one run in the first, and then Oklahoma State scored two in the first, and then it was goose eggs all the way until the top of the eighth. Oklahoma State had a two one lead, ended up giving up two runs in the eighth, 
and then one run in the ninth. Ben Leeper gave up his his second uh, run of, of the season, and um, Peyton Battenfield got the loss. He fell to three and three uh, on the season, and so um, not not a great weekend in the win column for Oklahoma State as. Uh, it, I mean, I was telling my wife uh, when we were listening to the game, um, I just feel like this could be that series that towards the end of the season you look back on and you say, how did they lose two games to West Virginia? And I'm not trying to disparage West Virginia. I think they, they're a competitive ball club and they do a lot of the little things right. But I just think at home, um, you need to be able to win these games. The Cowboys fall to 19 and 11 overall and six and three in conference plays. They're still, they're still near the top uh, of the conference of the conference race, but it's still early this week. They, they get to go to Kansas for the week. They, they, they're at Wichita state on April 10th, and then they are in Lawrence for a three game stretch. Uh, this coming weekend, the 12th, 13th, and 14th. And so this is another big week. It would be great to get a midweek win against Wichita. Um, And then they really need to get a sweep against Kansas. Kansas um, is struggling out of the gate and uh, in in conference play. So these these are definitely games that... um, Oklahoma State, they need to win and they they really need to win handily. But I'll tell you, to to make that happen, um, they're going to have to they're, they're going to have to get better pitching. Um, and I, that's about as nice as I can put it. Um, right now they don't have any arms that are just, that are just power arms that can blow past people or anyone who's really just pinpoint spot. I mean, the, the most, the most success you have right now is leaper and, and in that closing role, um, he's, he's done great, but he even walks too many batters. He walked someone, uh, today that ended up leading to a run. So, uh, you know, the, the team, they, they've got to find it. They've really got to find their pitching. Uh, what I was thinking on Saturday is that eighth inning is just a scary inning in general, because sometimes it works Oklahoma State's favor. They've had a couple comebacks in the eighth inning, um, including on Saturday, but then they've just, they've lost a few games in the eighth inning like they did on Sunday. And so the baseball team is struggling uh, to find that, that those solid arms are just consistently going to get strikes. And and then they've got to make plays defensively. Offensively, it seems like everyone's kind of settled in. I, I, I've said it before, but I'm so impressed with Houston Morrill, uh, the freshman, to, to, to be able to play um, at the level he plays offensively and defensively. And uh, so it's great to see him doing his thing. Navigado has adapted nicely uh, to that shortstop role and, and batting out of the two-hole. And so uh, there's a lot of good things happening. And like I said, they're still at the top of the standing. So it's definitely no reason to, to uh, you know, to, to really get scared or anything like that. But it's just, you know, you've got the meat of the conference schedule coming up and you hate to, to lose two out of three to this West Virginia team at home, especially. So, uh, like I said, next week they're at Wichita State for a midweek game, and then they're at Kansas for three games next weekend. So, hopefully they can get back and, and pick up another conference series victory. We, we need to get out of here, and uh, uh, before we do that, I want to take, take time to just talk about one thing, and that is Texas Tech playing in the national championship game on Monday night. And... Uh, 
you know, I mean, I watched the game on Saturday and it's impressive to see what they've done and what Chris Beard has done is a kind of, a, you know, in the back of my mind, I always think about, you know, Chris Beard was, was on a list. I don't know how short of list or how, how serious he's considered um, before they, they brought in Brad Underwood and to see what he's done in three years at Texas tech um, is really, really remarkable. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm pulling for him. Uh, you know, I, not even just out of conference pride, but just out of like, I love to see what Chris Beard is doing. Sean Sutton is on that coaching staff. I would love to see him get a ring that he wasn't able to get in two previous trips to the final four and uh, to see him overcome the things he's had to overcome. Uh, I, I just really enjoy seeing that. And so I'll be pulling for Texas Tech, but uh, you know, Pistols Fires firing blog, they, they wrote a, an article talking about is, is Texas Tech a model for Oklahoma State to to follow to try to, to reach that level of success. And so uh, if you're interested in that at all, go over to pistolsfiringblog.com and, uh, and check it out because it was pretty interesting because there are definitely a lot of similarities between Lubbock and Stillwater. And um, just between the current state of affairs, I mean, Texas Tech three years ago was where Oklahoma State is this season. And so um, there's a lot of a lot of things that you could see some similarities. Oklahoma State has this big recruiting class coming in. Um, but so so go check out that article. We'd love to hear what you think. You know, is is Chris Beard is is that a model to follow for for Mike Boynton and the staff, um, or do they just need to do their own thing and just figure out a way to win? But like I said, it's impressive to see what he's done at Texas Tech. I mean, he did things that Bob Knight, you know, the the hallowed Bob Knight, who's in the Hall of Fame by the way, um, even though he you know, choked a, a player, but, um, you know, Bob Knight couldn't even take Texas tech to where Chris Beard has been able to take them both in the conference race, you know, winning a share of the conference title and now, uh, playing in the national championship game, uh, against Virginia. So, uh, I'll be pulling for Texas tech and, uh, you know, we, we may talk about it next week on the show, but Hey, uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this. I say we, Jared is here in spirit. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I know it was just me rambling a lot, but next week we hope to get to our regular scheduled program and uh, hear from Jared again because I love hearing his take on all of this stuff. But uh, for the Loyal and True Podcast, I am Jason Evans. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Interact with us. Leave comments. Do whatever it is you do. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. So until next time, we'll see you later. Later.